world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom. Wassalam alaikum. What is going on? What is happening? Que pasa, senor, senoritas? Me, I'm away. Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us today on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. A lot of things to talk about today in the world of sports. I hope everybody is doing great. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's doing what they need to do in terms of this country to get out and vote. The vote is very, very important. The most important election. I thought the 2008 and 2012, there might be the most historic election in this country, but 2020, this election is going to be the most significant in importance. And we want to try to keep this country going somewhere in the right direction. So for those in the poor communities, for those in the Hispanic communities, for those in the gay community, for those in the black communities, get out and vote. And let's see what we can do to push this agenda for what this nation should be in the right direction after four years of utter, complete nonsense, corruptness, and bullshit and embarrassment. So let's see what we can do between now and November 3rd. And between now and November 3rd, I'll be talking about what's going on in the world of sports. Wanted to uh, put something down. Uh, I what I was going to do this originally. I was going to do this on Tuesday, but... I included the uh, World Series that I wanted to talk about. And then, you know, after four hours, I was like, I'll do it Wednesday morning. And then Wednesday morning came up and some other things I had to take care of came up. And then I said, well, I'll go ahead and I'll record it late Wednesday night after watching the uh, World Series in AEW on TNT. And then it got to be like 10, 30, 11. And I was tired and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it Thursday morning. So here I am discussing what's going down in the world of sports. By the way, love what they're doing with Kenny Omega on AEW. Kenny Omega is my man. He's my favorite wrestler going on right now, man. He's quickly becoming one of my all-time great wrestlers, depends on what happens with this heel turn that he's going to be doing. But, you know, growing up being a guy whose number one is always going to be the macho man Randy Savage because when you're a young kid and he introduces his manager, Miss Elizabeth, that was kind of like, yeah, you're number one in my book. That's just concrete. So, you know, if Kenny Omega, let's see what he does, move, does uh, moving forward. But, uh, you know, AEW's uh, putting on some good stuff, so I didn't want to miss that. The Omega and Roman Reigns, those are the two wrestlers that I'm kind of like more, most intrigued with right now. And it's about time, man, to do something with Roman Reigns. I mean, I know he turned heel a little while ago, but he should have turned heel years ago. And he would have had a perfect built-in excuse. Look, I come out here, I get booed, I give you my blood, I give you my sweat, I give you my tears. I eat like Brock Lesnar who takes six months off and, and holds the belt hostage. I come out here every week doing my thing and you guys continue to boo me. Always boo me. I fight Braun Strowman when he was a heel. He gets more cheers. I fight everybody else when he was a heel and I'm a good guy. I put myself through tables. I do blades. I cut myself. I do all these things. And you motherfuckers are still going to boo me? Well, fuck you. Here's my new manager, Paul Heyman. I'm going to wreak havoc on everybody within the WWE. Now, they don't have that complete storyline just yet. Ad Roman Reigns is doing his program right now with Jey Uso. But it's like, man, it was just so 
perfect a while ago before this pandemic hit to turn Roman Reigns heel. But you know, hey, merchandise sales are up and TV viewing is this and record sales here and there. So tell me again, what's wrong with having Roman Reigns, who's one of our top sellers in terms of merchandise and everything. Tell me again why we need to upset this apple cart and turn him heel. Because it's better for the overall business. But I'm not going to tell the genius, the billionaire, the man who's been doing this for, I don't know, what, four or five decades, Vince McMahon. I'm not going to tell him how to run his business. He's much more successful than, you know. So you just go ahead and do what you're doing. But thank you very much for finally turning Roman Reigns heel. And it's a... Uh, it's a character with depth and interest and complexities, and I'm interested to see where this is going. So that's what I've been doing in terms of why I haven't been able to uh, put down a uh, podcast in the uh, right amount of time. But uh, yes, McDonald's finally becoming good, and uh, Raw with Drew McIntyre still an absolute fucking train wreck. The uh, show on Monday was uh, the show on Monday was an embarrassment to uh, I don't know who wrote that show. I don't know who approved that show. And look, man, you can't hit grand slams every time. Sometimes you strike out. Sometimes you look foolish. Sometimes you shoot an air ball. Sometimes you fumble. Sometimes you throw an interception. Sometimes you get knocked out. And sometimes you write horrible shows for uh, your wrestling product. All the greatest in the world. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has thrown up an air ball. Michael Jordan had been dunked on. Bill Russell had missed a shot. Wilt Chamberlain didn't score 50 points every time a game. Uh, Tom Brady has thrown interceptions at crucial times. So, you know, LeBron James is 4-6 in the NBA Finals. So he melted down in 2011 against Dallas. Every great, unbelievable inventor, entertainer, whatever, has had a bad day. Barack Obama, every day in office, wasn't fantastic. Malcolm X and Martin Luther King didn't have always the greatest ideas, and they weren't always correct. And the only person that was correct all the time, without a doubt, was Jesus Christ. And after seven, day, seven days, people nailed him to a cross. So, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward, slowly but surely, mainly because of Roman Reigns getting slowly back into uh, what's going down with the um, with the WWE, and uh, I'm still strong with um, AEW. I like the direction that they're going. Like Brooke Baker and Tony Schiavone has come back now as a really quality, good commentator to see what's happening with the uh, with the Young Bucks and uh, Hangman Page and. This uh, Eddie Kingston, John Moxley feud looks pretty much interesting. And so, you know, this champion, Jericho and MJF, we'll see where that's going. Sammy Gravana and Matt Hardy going to be doing their thing, hopefully, for the last time. But, all right, man, we're six minutes into this bullshit, and I'm still talking about wrestling. I'm just kind of giving you the lay of the land of what I've been doing to where, as of right now, October 22nd, 2020, this is what I'm putting down in terms of what I'm going to be talking about today on the podcast. Oh, yeah, forget also, not to forget to tell you, um, Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L, my YouTube ch- uh, YouTube page, uh, also doing some uh, sports talking content on that one, still trying to learn, still trying to get acclimated, still trying to educate myself on how to, uh, you know, spruce that bad boy up in terms of putting in some highlights and an opening and a rejoinder and all that all that good stuff to make it uh, more um, viewable, shall we say. So it's a work in progress. It's under it's under construction, but I still once a week go out there and talk about some of the things that I want to talk about pertaining to the world of sports. I haven't talked about any of the NBA news recently about the new head coaching positions. New Orleans had their man is Stan Van Gundy and the LA Clippers 
have their man in Tyron Lue and everything that's going down in the upcoming NBA draft in November. So even though the NBA season is over technically uh, for a few weeks, there's still some news in the NBA that I want to discuss and want to get into. Normally doing that on what, what I might call my secondary page, my YouTube page. Once again, just Wendell Wallace, W-E-N-D-E-L-L, Wallace. Go to the uh, YouTube page and you'll see this handsome looking face right here. No, you, I understand that if you turn onto my YouTube page, you type in Wendell Wallace and you go this and, you know, you go down, take a look at my videos. You'll be like, when did Denzel Washington get glasses and look 20 years younger? What's going on here? <laughs> and he's so much better looking than what I re than what I remember. No, 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 no. That's me. That's just me. Remember, ladies, unrestricted free agent right here. You know what? And I'm looking, and not even look, I'm not even looking for the max deal. I'm not even looking for the max contract. I'll settle. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, let's get into it. Today on the podcast, as I was mentioning before, the World Series, the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays series tied at one after two really good uh, performances from the starting pitcher in game one pitchers. In game one, fantastic performance by Clayton Kershaw. Game two, fantastic performance by Blake Snell. Uh, Kershaw pitched six innings. I believe uh, Blake Snell went five and a third or five and two thirds. Moving forward, you know, there really is no home field advantage in this because the games are going to be played on a neutral site. So, you know, for me, it's going to come down to the bullpens. If you, if you think about it, the LA Dodgers can rake with the best of them. When you got Bellinger, who seems to be back, Corey Seager right now looks like the best player in the field, on the field, just like he was um, for the uh, NLCS. You can make the argument for, for Mookie Betts, but I thought Seager truly was the MVP in that uh, National League Championship Series against the Atlanta Braves. Um, you know, I, I, I just like my very quick take of what the series is going on so far. I just like the versatility of the Los Angeles Dodgers, the way they can hit, opposed to the Tampa Bay Rays coming in with their relievers. Even though if you checked last game, game two of the World Series, the Dodgers implemented more relievers. I believe it was seven, right? Seven pitchers in nine innings than the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, who have taken totally the Rusa stuff about, you know, relievers, relievers, relievers. They've taken that and put that on steroids. So this is this is going to be an interesting series. Hopefully it's a long series. And uh, hopefully everything in terms of baseball will be looking good once that series is over moving forward. So, yeah, man, the Rays and the L.A. Dodgers getting it on, getting it on. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, man, let's go with some NFL recap for week six, right? What uh, what I took away from this past weekend. Of course, the game of the week was Tampa Bay and Green Bay. I'm taking a look at this game. And everybody's going, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, Rod Gronkowski, first TD Packer, Rod Gronkowski, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, leadership, Tom Brady. I'm, I'm listening to this narrative. But after watching that game, against the Packers, especially after that interception in the second quarter, I came to the conclusion that, you know what, Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers have a defense to win the Super Bowl, and it, Tom Brady can just be a game manager. And we, we talk about, you know, in the NFL, the most important position on the field, the most 
but the most prized possession, the most important possession or a person in sports is the starting quarterback, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, as the San Francisco 49ers showed recently, because now with this league becoming even, even more of a passing league, it's like you got to have a passer. you got to have a passer. If you want to win in the NFL, you got to put up points. you got to put up points. Take a look at what Patrick Mahomes is doing with the Kansas City Le Champions. And you take a look at all these great dynamic quarterbacks and the way that the game is played. They want to have you put points on the board. So the way that the Baltimore Ravens won their Super Bowl in 2001 and the way that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won their Super Bowl in 1998 and the way that the you know some of these other teams won their Super Bowl mainly with defense, even as late as 2015 with the Denver Broncos. You can't play that football. You can't play that style of football anymore. You need that franchise, top two or three quarterback and the offensive weapons and all those type of things. And again, I'm saying, yeah, you can't have, you can't have a Dwayne Haskins. You can't have a bum as your quarterback and win the Super Bowl. I understand that. But you also don't need a Patrick Mahomes. You also don't need a 2007 Tom Brady. You also don't need that Hall of Fame still in this prime type of quarterback to win a Super Bowl if you have yourself a strong defense. And Tom Brady at 43 years of age throughout the season has shown me so far through six games that Tampa Bay can still win a Super Bowl if the offense is going to be averaging somewhere around 24 to 25, 26 points a game. You don't need to be averaging 32. You don't need to be averaging 38. You don't need to be averaging in the low 30s to uh, win a Super Bowl. If you have a defense like the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the way they showed against the uh, against the Green Bay Packers this past weekend, you can do, if you're Peyton Manning, you can do what Peyton, uh, excuse me, what Tom Brady, you can do what Peyton Manning did in his last year with Denver where he allowed the defense to carry them to a Super Bowl, and basically he was just a caretaker at the quarterback position. You can do, after Tom Brady, what Jimmy Garoppolo did last season with the San Francisco 49ers. And on top of that, I think the way Brady is playing as of right now through six games of the season, minus the brain fart he had against the Chicago Bears near the end of the game, he can definitely be better than those two examples at quarterback, which I just mentioned, in terms of them riding the coattails of a defense or a surrounding cast to lead them to a Super Bowl. So Tom Brady doesn't need to be the Tom Brady that many people thought the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were getting, unrealistically thought that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were getting, that the Tom Brady of New England's fame and glory that Tom Brady, that Tom Brady from three years ago, that Tom Brady from five years ago, that Tom Brady from seven years ago. That Tom Brady for the 2020 season doesn't need to be that guy. Tom Brady needs to be a better better version of a very good Alex Smith. If Tom Brady can be 40, no, 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 not 40. If Tom Brady can be, let's throw out a number, 58%, or if I can be like Bill Belichick, 58.36542% of what he was in 2015, that's more than good enough for the Buccaneers, if they're going to play defense like this, like they played against the Green Bay Packers, that's more than enough, especially with the weapons that they, that the Buccaneers have around Tom Brady and the coaching acumen of not only Bruce Arians, but the offensive coordinating of uh, Byron Leftwich. The Buccaneers have enough. They don't need to be super dynamic on offense to do those things. And it showed uh, this past Sunday, where they beat Green Bay, Green Bay 38-10. Packers 
suffered their first defeat of the season to the Buccaneers on Sunday at Raymond James Stadium. Tampa Bay scored 28 points on the Packers in the second quarter and route to scoring 38 consecutive points after being behind 10 nothing. as I mentioned before. For the game, the defense held the uh, Packers and Rodgers in check. Green Bay gained just 201 yards, averaged three yards per play while turning the ball over twice. The Buccaneers were able to get five sacks for a loss of 53 yards on those sacks in the day. So, of course, we all take a look at the turning point was third and 10, Green Bay 22, 12-42 left to go in the second quarter. Jamal Dean intercepting Rodgers' pass, ran it back 32 yards for a touchdown. All of a sudden, a momentum swift, the switch. You were speaking before that, that maybe, you know, they go up here 17 nothing. Tampa Bay becomes more one-dimensional. What has Tom Brady got? What is Tom Brady going to do? What's going to be happening? Boom. The whole momentum changed on that interception and a take, take back for six. Then on Green Bay's next possession, that also ended in an interception when Mike Edwards inter, uh, returned the ball to the two-yard line. Ronald Jones said, thank you very much, scored to go to put the uh, Buccaneers up 14-10. to 10. And that's what's all she wrote. So, yeah, if I could describe what um, Tom Brady was on Sunday, efficient, surgical, solid. You take a look at the numbers, 17 for 27, 166 yards, two touchdowns. Most of his completions were two wide-open primary receivers, a lot of pitching and catching type of throws. Through his first touchdown pass to Ron Gronkowski, who caught five passes for 78 yards. I don't think that we're going to be seeing vintage Gronkowski based on this game, but uh, any type of any type of production that you can get from this guy will mean that the thought of Ron Gronkowski basically uh, becoming near the player that he was is going to be causing defensive coordinators on other teams to start scheming a little bit for them and taking away from what they could be doing to maybe try to, you know, not stop, but try to slow down or contain or do whatever, you know, such guys as Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Ronald Jones. Still, still no Leonard Fournette. Don't think they really need him. So, uh, good performance by the Buccaneers and again atypical of the way a lot of people think you need to have an offense play if you're going to be true Super Bowl contenders but the offensive line for the Bucks was tremendous Brady wasn't sacked in 28 pass attempts the team rushed for 158 yards you're talking about a 4.5 yard per carry Ronald Jones continues to make the claim that he's the number one quarter uh, number one running back when you're speaking about running for 113 yards on 23 carries and two touchdowns. The Buccaneers offense balanced 35 uh, rushes, 25 passes. That's the way you do it, man. That's the way you do it. The team got stronger and the game went longer. So, yeah, I'm very impressed with the Buccaneers offense. And still, they still have the weapons to where if during the season where we're speaking about 4-2 and two, and there's another 10 games left depending upon what happens with COVID and what we're doing moving forward. If the Buccaneers can are fortunate enough to play 10 more games, there's going to be three or four games in there where they're going to be scoring 35 points or more. They do have the ability to do that. They just don't need to do that, and they don't need to do that on a consistent basis. I don't think they can do that. I don't think Tom Brady can do that on a consistent basis. I think Tom Brady, if we can keep him within this space, if we can keep him 
on this level in terms of his responsibilities, if we can keep him to say, you know what, if you throw the ball anywhere between 25 and 35 times a game, we're going to be fine. We're going to be really good. If we can have that run-pass ratio being closer to one-to-one, then yeah, we're going to be fine. We don't need to see Tom Brady throwing the ball 40 to 45 times. So because of that, it's going to be more incumbent upon the Tampa Bay defense to keep doing what they did. Levante David was absolutely fantastic against Green Bay. Finished the day with eight tackles, six of them solo, a half a sack, or one and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for losses. Uh, Devin White, the linebacker, he led the team in tackles with 10, nine of them being solo, picking up a sack, three tackles for losses, and two quarterback hits. It's uh, It was a fantastic overall performance. And it seemed like Green Bay turned themselves so one-dimensional every time it looked like you know a lot of the repeat between the Green Bay Packers when they played the San Francisco 49ers last year where it seemed like every time Aaron Rodgers stepped back the pass he was confused he didn't know where the blitzers were coming from he seemed out of kilter he seemed out of sync he seemed out of whack with his receivers there was a lot of running around there was a lot of hesitancy there was a lot of those type of things and uh those, uh, that type of defense wins yourselves championships, wins yourselves opportunities to play in the Super Bowl. So let's give it up for defensive coordinator Todd Bowles. I mean, if the one of the reasons why I'm so, um, I wouldn't say rooting because I'm a Washington football fan, so that's my main team, unfortunately. But one of the reasons why I have so much of a vested interest emotionally in what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are doing is because of the the uh what could happen with Todd Bowles the defensive coordinator and moving on down the road what could happen with Byron Leftwich the offensive coordinator now I, I know on the offensive side that if you're speaking about that the Buccaneers become this uh you know fantastic offense or if the Buccaneers do really well on offense and they put up a lot of points and Tom Brady at 43 years old is great and he becomes a top eight top nine quarterback or anywhere between the number seven between the number seven and number 10 quarterback. I know that the number one person who's going to get the credit will be Tom Brady. And the number two person that's going to get the credit is going to be Bruce Arians. But uh, we should not, we should not, if those things happen, if those things come to fruition in terms of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers reaching their offensive uh, potential, this should not be lost on one of the main reasons why that happens was because of the uh, offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, my man from Washington D.C., grew up in Washington D.C., went to Marshall, played with the number round, number one pick of the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, played a few years there, then played with the Pittsburgh Steelers, retired, and now he's the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know one thing. I know Todd Bowles is going to get a, not Todd bullshit. I know that uh, Byron Leftwich is going to get a lot of criticism if the Buccaneers do not have the season offensively that many people are going to say they're going to have. He won't be the main reason, but I'm quite sure they'll call his name as one of the failures on why the Buccaneers didn't reach expectations more than his name being called quicker if the Buccaneers exceed their offensive expectations. So I'm, I'm rooting for Byron Leftwich in that sense. Not do I think, not that I think that he's a Head coach right now, I, I, I don't, I don't know what the qualifications are of a head coach besides leadership. I mean, in terms of X's and O's and schemings and, and drawing up plays and all those type of things. I mean, I'm not 
I'm not privy to having enough knowledge or enough experience in terms of interviewing offensive coordinators for head coaching jobs. But uh, I think that uh, a good season for Tampa Bay right now, or for this season, Tampa Bay to have a good uh, offensive season would get Byron Leftwich on the track, on the avenue, on the street, to possibly down the road in the near future get himself an opportunity for a head coaching job. You take a look at Sean McVay. You take a look at Zach Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals. You take a look at the uh, Matt LaFleur of the uh, Green Bay Packers. You take a look at the coach of the uh, Chicago Bears. These guys that all came from the Sean McVay coaching tree. They're relatively young. So the timeline for coaches to become Head coaches, it used to be, you know, you have to wait till your 50s and you have to put in a decade plus or, you know, these type of uh, measurements to finally get the opportunity. Well, you know, it seems to be expedited a little bit. You take a look at the Arizona Cardinals and their hiring of Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. A lot of these NFL owners and those who do the hiring for the coaches, for the head coaches in this league seem to be breaking the trend a little bit and seem to be going to a much more younger group of coaches unfortunately they still remain white but as we move along that hopefully that will change and the person that they can take advantage of that could be byron left which if he continues to grow if he shows that uh, he can handle the job and if he gets a sincere genuine opportunity to do so wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us so one of the reasons why I'm speaking so highly when I'm speaking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, why I'm so excited about what they could become potentially because the Washington team is not going anywhere. So knowing that my favorite NFL team is a train wreck and a dysfunctional group of clowns and losers and go nowheres this season, I can turn my attention and energy to a team I would want to see do well would be a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So Talked about the offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich. What about this? But, because I mentioned about, you know, the Tampa Bay defense being great. They can go ahead and win the Super Bowl with that defense. And the offense doesn't have to be, you know, Kansas City, Le Champion, uh, light. Defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles. Again, he's going to get an opportunity to put his name as a possible head coaching as a head coach, if he continues to do what he's doing. The Buccaneers defense, for instance, in 2018, the year before Bowles joined, they were one of the worst. This year, they're ranked in the top seven. And remember this also, because, you know, we're speaking about, well, Bowles already had the opportunity to um, become a head coach and blah, blah, blah. Look what he did. Yeah, let's, let's go back and take a look at what he did. He was the head coach for the New York Jets. He was replaced by Adam Gaze. How does the New York Jets, how do the New York Jets look now under Adam Gaze opposed to when they were being coached by Todd Bowles? If anything, that should add more strength to the possibility of Todd Bowles getting a serious look in the near future of becoming an NFL head coach. So, you know, I'm, I'm rooting heavily for those guys. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, Moving forward for Tampa Bay, what exactly does this game mean? Because I've, I've always said before, the first four games, the first five games, the first month, month and a half of the season, now you take a look at that as almost like exhibition number two, or you take a look at that as, you know, putting together a narrative. You're not 
making any bold proclamations. You're not writing anything down in concrete. You're not, you know, no team is going to be making it to the Super Bowl. No team is going to be peaking to win the Super Bowl in weeks two, three, and four. I mean, everybody is building. Everybody is building their narrative in terms of what the season is going to look like. Positive, negative, average, whatever. So you take each one of these games basically with a, not with so much of a grain of salt in terms of, you know, important if they win, important that they, that they lose, but in the in the big picture of things. You know, a team losing in week three, whether they're supposed to be bottom feeders or Super Bowl contenders, it doesn't move the needle for me one way or the other, no matter how bad they look, no matter how great they look. It's like week three, we've got 13 more weeks, God uh, willing, in terms of this pandemic. But on a normal season, it's like way too, way too, way too early. If you're speaking about week four and five and six, even as late as week 10, 11, 12 for a lot of teams, still too early to sit there and be like, oh yeah, fuck it. Yeah, they're Super Bowl champions. Oh hell yeah. Or oh no, no, no. They're no good. They're, they're, you know, they're going down the toilet. They're no good. They need to fire the coach. They need to replace the quarterback. They need to do this. They need to do that. Still as late as the weeks that I just mentioned, 10, 11, 12. If you take a look back during these seasons, go back and take a look. At these America games, you can find them on YouTube where they do the season review of the Super Bowl champions. And they talk about, you know, week from week, this is what we were doing. This is how we were playing. This is what we were looking at. This was the attitude of the team. This was the, you know, positive, negative outlook of what we were going. You'll always see that after week seven or after week eight, after halfway through the season, that there's some roads, there's some obstacles that they have to overcome for the most part. So, Week six, it's like, okay, fine. We're starting to uh, get a little bit better idea of what these teams are going to be looking like, positive or negative, but there's nothing now uh, concrete in what their performance means, the true definition of what their performance means. So when I say all those things, what does it mean this victory, 38-10, to 10, over the previously unbeated Green Bay Packers? What does it mean for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers moving forward this season? Does it mean that now they're legitimate Super Bowl contenders? Does it mean that they beat an overrated team? Does it mean that they should have done what they should have done because they were playing the Packers on a at their home field? They got 10 days off. The Packers, of course, came back from a bye week, so they might be a little bit rusty. So what narrative are you building? What are you looking to take? from this game. Now it was the best performance for me with the best performance of their season and the biggest test of their season or since week one at New Orleans. We've seen now what uh, New Orleans New Orleans means. It was a flawless game, no penalties. I don't think that the um, Buccaneers are going to repeat that, nor that should be the expectations. But right now, as of right now, as of October 22nd, 2020, right now, right now, right now, they're the best team in the in the NFC South. New Orleans is at three and two. Carolina's at three and three. Atlanta's at one and five. And you're speaking about the Buccaneers at four and two. And I remember after week one, where they went down in New Orleans, who at the time were one of the leading contenders, especially in the NFC, in the NFC, along with teams like the um, San Francisco 49ers, to be one of those elite football teams from that conference who can not only make it to the Super Bowl, but win the Super Bowl. After that performance in week one against the New Orleans Saints, a lot of people, oh, you know, what's going on with Tom Brady through the pick six and Bruce Arians talking about calling him out in public and all this, that, and the other, and 
Well, I, I just said one fucking week on the road without preseason, without a real training camp against one of the elite teams in the NFL. We're really going to go there with a ooh, thou, and ooh, wow. We're really going to go there. We're really going to be talking anything negative about Tom Brady, 43 years old, blah, blah, blah. You see that he was uh, regressing in this last uh, few years with the uh, New England Patriots. Ho, 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 ho. That pitch six, he looked terrible. That second interception, he tried to blame Mike Evans, but Bruce Arians was like, no, 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 no. It was really Tom Brady's fault. What's going on here? 43 years old. You, I was like, you're really going to take it there. You're really going to go there. You're really trying to build that narrative after one fucking week against the New Orleans Saints on the road without preseason, without the normal training camp. You're actually going to go there with that, huh? Well, five weeks later, or four, whatever, right now, can you name me another team in the NFC that's better? I mean, you can go with uh, Seattle, of course. The Rams look intriguing despite their loss to the 49ers on Sunday Night Football. Don't even talk about the Chicago Bears. Don't please and please don't even talk to me about the NFC East. I'll get into that a little bit later. But as of right now, why not? As of right now, why not? As of right now, why not make the statement that, yes, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at least in the NFC, are one of the leading contenders to uh, make it to the Super Bowl. I know one thing that the a dominant defense, to me, is more reliable and more consistent than, say, a um, dynamic offense. And I know in the NFL, offense, 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 and they're trying to, the rules and everything, the rules and regulations are trying to move the uh, game more toward an offensive onslaught. I understand that, but still, some things never change. And I think that, just like in, just like in basketball, Three-point shooting and small ball and all those type of things. I still think there's a place for the big man. I still think there's a place for the dominant big man in the NBA. Maybe not the true traditional low post guy, but a guy who can score, a guy who can clog the middle, a guy who can do some things. You're really good traditional big man. I think that there's still a place in the NBA. He might not be as valued as, say, when Wilt and Bill and Kareem and those guys were ruling the NBA shack and such, but there's still a place. And in the NFL, despite the fact that these guys go four wide and run and shoot and uh, college-style offenses and you got quarterbacks running and doing all these type of things, these dynamic tool-threat quarterbacks and everything, I still think that there is a place for a quarterback, strong, efficient, not dynamic, not franchise-ish, not Hall of Fame-ish, there's still a place for a really good, solid quarterback to go along with a really good, solid running game to be complemented with a very strong defensive uh, team and still win a Super Bowl. There is still a place for that. There's still a place for strong respect for some for a team like that. And I think... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers need to be looking more of going in that direction. Don't worry about Tom Brady throwing for 4,000 yards and 30-something touchdowns and having this dynamic offense that's going to put up 30 points a game. No, 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 no. Do what you're doing right now. Have Tom Brady be efficient. Have Tom Brady be solid. Have the running game. Get that one-to-one ratio going in terms of the run and pass. Have your defense play lights out. Rely more as far as your overall success 
rely more, put more responsibility on the defense and then the captains and the best players on the defense rather than a 43-year-old Hall of Famer, a 43-year-old greatest of all time, one of them, a 43-year-old guy who's still playing pretty good football, but yet still a 43-year-old guy who I don't think has the ability anymore to be that guy that can take an average defense, to be that guy who can take average offensive weapons, who can be that guy to take a team that without him is just average, put him on his shoulders and bring him to the Super Bowl. That Tom Brady does not exist anymore. But he's fortunate enough, if we're going to take a look and we're going to read into what they did against the Green Bay Packers on Sunday, if that defense can continue to play in the same stratosphere of how they played against the Packers, then they don't need to have a Tom, a dominant Tom Brady to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Winning the Super Bowl with the formula they got is possible. And in the words of Kurt Angle, oh, it's true. It's damn true. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Oh, hold on a second. Whoa. Ah, lower back. <laughs> Whoo, shit. I got to go to the, uh, well, I don't have to, but I'm going to the uh, gym to do my body pump class in about four and a half hours. And oh, right now, mentally, I am not feeling it. I've been trying to get myself back into shape, you know, the uh, pandemic. I wasn't really doing anything before the pandemic in terms of trying to uh, keep myself in pretty decent shape. I was uh, it was a busy schedule before uh, March and everything shut down for me. You know, working wise, making good money, and doing those type of things. And you know, I just didn't have the time, or I was just too lazy, or I got out of my rhythm, or I just got out of my routine in terms of doing the uh, implementing working out, implementing of taking care of myself physically. Um, from the uh, daily routine of what I was doing. I, I don't do good in that regard with change. You know, I can work out as long as you need me to, as far as, the, you know, change, as far as there's no changes in my life. But as soon as something different happens, the first thing that gets uh, knocked or kicked to the curb is my ability to go to the gym and to uh, do some strenuous exercises and such. So, you know, it was, I was doing well before the end of the year. Then once the new year hit, I stopped or I slowed down considerably. Instead of going to the gym four times a week, it went down to three and then two and then one for the next couple of weeks. I was just going to body pump class on Sunday mornings. And then the pandemic hit and it was just like, fuck it. Cause everything shut down. My gym shut down. Everything shut down. 
I shut down. It was just, you know, I was eating like shit. I wasn't doing anything. I'm Ubering and I'm sitting down in a car for hours upon hours. And I'm eating junk food and I'm eating fast food and I'm drinking big gulps and I'm eating chips. And then I come home and I go up the stairs and I lay on my bed or I lay on the couch or I'm not doing anything in terms of uh, keeping my body in check. And I'm looking in the mirror and I say, yeah, you know, I'll start and I'll start and I'll start and I'll start and... I'll start next week, and next week becomes two weeks, and two weeks becomes next month, and next month becomes another month, and another month becomes when this pandemic gets a little bit better, and once the pandemic got a little bit better, I wanted to be 100% or close to 100%, and so it was just bullshit in terms of why I wasn't doing anything. But, you know, finally, after, what, basically eight months of doing nothing, Absolutely nothing in six months of just living a lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle that was horrendous. There was nothing healthy about it in terms of my diet, in terms of my exercising, fucking nothing. And I got to be in the worst shape of my life. And things like, you know, getting out of my couch and doing all those type of things became a, uh, became a chore. And some of those things that you take, a, you take for granted all of a sudden now are starting to become a chore. And I'm walking distances and my back is hurting and my knees are hurting and I'm out of breath. I'm like, what the fuck is going on, man? I might be old and worn out and rusty and a shell of my former self and way past my athletic prime and all those things. But God damn, I'm not that bad, am I? Obviously, I am. So um, I made a promise to my wonderful, beautiful, fantastic, loving, great, intelligent, magnificent goddaughter i was like i gotta get i gotta get back in shape i gotta get back in shape i just gotta start to try to get back into shape it's gonna be a long fucking long road but uh i gotta do it because this shit is like you know it's it's horrible so uh august i started and right now i'm on week eight and uh, my my eating habits are still bad. I still need to change my eating habits. But uh, three to four days a week, I'm out there working out. Three days a week, I'm doing body pump. So I got a body pump class a day in about four hours with uh, Jennifer. That's G-E-N-I-F-F-E-R. Jennifer. Fantastic. I like going to the gyms. I like taking the uh, classes, the aerobic classes, even when I was doing it on a daily basis. Weekly basis, you know, daily I like going to the classes where the instructors are a little bit older, that are that are around my age. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not into the uh, doing the classes with the twenty uh, something sexy, you know, great fitness fitness looking beauties like that. It's like, look, man, I'm you know, I can't, I can't, I can't. Seriously, really? I mean, you know, that's what I'm trying to achieve, something like that. I mean, you know, so uh, I, I like the females who look great. Great body, strong legs, strong arms, strong shoulders, uh, you know, who look my age, who are around my age. So it can show me that, uh, yeah, it can be done. And I'm not looking to be Mr. Atlas. I'm not looking to be Mr. Six Pack. I'm not looking to be Mr. Walk around the street with my shirt off and have the uh, late 20 and 30 something year old females go, ooh, I'm not looking for any of the double take. I'm not looking for girls drooling over me and after me and, all that kind of stuff. I just want to get in better shape. And whatever my physique looks, if I can be in the shape that I want to be in, in terms of being able to do just the normal things without any type of, uh, you know, uh, without any type of uh, difficulty, 
that'll be fine with me. I don't, I'm not looking to run a marathon. I'm not looking to dunk a basketball again. I'm not looking to run a 4-4-40. I'm not looking to look like I'm 25 years old. I'm not trying to compete with the youngins. I'm not trying to enter any bodybuilding contests. I'm not looking to regain my youth. None of that kind of stuff, man. I just want to get better than what I look right now. I want my back, my lower back to stop hurting. I want to do all of those things. So uh, those are those are the things. So, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, I got my body pump classes. And boy, I tell you, Tuesday, you walk in that class, man, and there's about 30-something females in there, and you're the only guy. And I situate myself right there in the back corner, right there in the, in the in a corner in the back where there's the least amount of light so no one can see me and I can't be distracting anybody by my huffing and puffing and the ugly faces that I'm making as I'm straining and moaning and groaning and doing all those things just to try to get through my uh, leg workout and get through my chest workout and get through my lunges and get through my ab workout and get through my uh, shoulders and my arms and my triceps and my biceps and everything, doing them lunges, man. Because the body pump class is like you do uh, five minutes, nonstop, light weights, high repetitions. So, you know, you do the one, two, one, two, down for three, up for one, down for one, up for three, slowly, one, two, three, four, down, slowly, one, two, three, four, up. You know, it's like, woo, some hard-ass shit, man. I tell my, uh, before I uh, get on and start working with the... Uh, with my legs, we do the warm up, and then we do legs, chest, back, buys, tries, uh, lunges, arms, abs, and then we're done. And then stretching, and then we're done. The whole thing takes about an hour. So after the warm up, depending upon the warm up, that's when I'm kind of like, okay, either this is going to be a struggle or this is going to be a real struggle. I say, uh, Lord, Dad, please just help me get through this, please. Please, please, please. I ain't looking to kill it. I ain't looking for it to be easy. I'm not looking for it to be any of those things. I'm not looking to get through this and be like, oh, yeah, that was easy. That was a cinch. That was no problem. I know it's going to be a struggle. I know it's going to be strenuous. I know I'm going to get a workout. I know I'm going to be sweating. I know I'm going to be grunting. I know I'm going to be groaning. I know it ain't going to be pleasant. But there ain't nothing like it when you're done working out, man. There ain't nothing like it. It's like... Before you get there, it's like, I don't want to do this. I want to make any excuse I can not to do this. I don't want to be here. This sucks. I'm afraid. I don't feel like sweating. I don't feel like groaning. I don't feel like going through this bullshit. But halfway through, you're like, man, I'm so fucking glad I came. Oh, I'm so glad I came. When you're covered in sweat and, you know, and everything like that and you're done, you're like, yeah, man. I can, you know, throw a Volkswagen a, a half block and I can go out and fight Mike Tyson in this prime if I wanted to. Not that I would, but that's the type of feeling that you get when you're done. So, yeah, man, that's my story. That is my story. That was the story, that long rambling story of me when I was recording this or when I'm recording this. And I went, oh, because my lower back tightened up on me. I have back spasms. So that's what happens when you're a fat piece of shit like myself. But the great part is, I can change it, and I'm going to do my best to change it. All right, back to sports. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Uh, the game of the week, as I was mentioning before, Tampa Bay, Green Bay. Talked about uh, Tampa Bay being able to win a championship with the formula that they have, which should include Tom Brady not having to be a Tom Brady who is a top five quarterback, a Tom Brady who doesn't have to throw the ball 35, 40 times a game, a Tom Brady who can rely 
on his defense to win games and judging just based on the performance that they had against Green Bay and a team that was playing very well offensively coming into the game, the way that they dominated the Packers, the way that they dominated Aaron Rodgers, the way that they dominated the line of scrimmage. It got to the point of me thinking, wait a minute now, Tampa Bay, they have the formula, they have the nucleus, and they have the ability to go ahead and win a Super Bowl playing this way. So that was my takeaway from um, that game and moving forward with Tampa Bay. Why, why can't they win the division? Why can't they now be stake their claim as one of the uh, elite teams as of right now through six weeks? Why not Tampa Bay in terms of being one of the elite teams in the uh, NFC? If you take a look at what they did to the Green Bay Packers, if you take a look at how putrid the NFC East is, if you take a look at the mediocrity basically below the Buccaneers in the NFC South, sure, you still have the NFC West with the Seattle Seahawks, with the um, LA Rams still there, but... I mean, on any given Sunday, why not let it be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Speaking words of wisdom, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as one of the favorites to win the NFC. Let it be. So, yeah, man, why not? So that now leads us to what exactly does this game mean for the Green Bay Packers moving forward? First loss of the season. This is the team that had beaten the Lions and the Vikings, but not the Bears, oh my. But the Lions and Vikings and Falcons and Saints. You know, you take a look at the records of those teams. The only team that's over 500 are the New Orleans Saints. So what do we what do we think of the Green Bay Packers? Because it was a situation where they were talking about, hey man, Brett Favre is... You know, gone through this resurgence, and now Aaron Jones is the guy who. I'm, I'm, I'm right up there singing the same song. I was singing the same tune. I wrote some of the lyrics that uh, you know, Aaron Jones, one of the better backs, if not one of the best backs in the NFL, it was one of the most versatile, at the very least. If you think about what he could do coming out of the backfield as a as a uh, receiver, but you take a look at the offensive line, couldn't handle the Buccaneer defense. And what Tampa Bay did to the Packers' offense is it basically made them look, I don't know what, desperate, overmatched, one-dimensional. Seemed like, especially in the second half, and I know by that time it was 28-10, to 10, so you can't establish any type of running game under those, circum- uh, under those circ- circumstances. But man, Rodgers seemed like he was either running for his life to find someone to get open, or he was getting sacked. And it was a confused sack. I mean, it wasn't even like a, uh, you know, it, it was just seemed like he went back to pass. He couldn't find anybody. He didn't know what to do. Uh, a uh, rusher came off the edge, whether it was Ndamukong Sue or one of them boys. And Roger just says, fuck it, I'm going down. So on his, on his dropbacks, Aaron was pressured 12 times in the game. And he was fa- sacked four times. On those plays. So in total, Green Bay's offensive line allowed around five sacks. So you take a look at the performances. Rodgers was under 500 in terms of completing only 16 of 35 passes for 160 yards, two interceptions. Aaron Jones ran 10 times for 15 yards because of the offensive 
onslaught or the scoring onslaught that happened in the second quarter where Tampa Bay scored 28 points. Green Bay ran the ball uh, 21 times. They threw it 35. They ain't going to win you any football games, even if you do have someone like Aaron Rodgers on your team. And Green Bay's defense, which is their weak point of their team, they were non-existent. I mean, Tom Brady wasn't even sacked. The man was barely pressured. You had Ron Gronkowski making a resurgence. Those guys were playing pitch and catch. The offensive line dominated the Packers' front four. The running game averaged 4.5 yards per carry for Tampa Bay. Things got to change in Green Bay. Now, moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. Not saying that the season's over. I don't know if I want to say that the Packers team was overrated. Depends on what your expectations were. I thought that Green Bay was a solid team. I thought Green Bay was a good team. I didn't think Green Bay would get beaten up by Tampa Bay by this measure. But that, even though that beatdown occurred, I'm not throwing, uh, I'm not throwing Green Bay to the trash bin. Not as long as Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. Not as long as they have Aaron Jones as their running back. And not as long as Devontae Adams can continue to come back and get better. Yeah, the defense is going to be a problem. One of the reasons why I'm stopping short of saying that the Green Bay Packers are one of the NFC's elite teams. Or one of the NFC's elite teams. I'm not going to go that far. But, hey, man, when you got Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, on any Sunday, I mean, who knows what that man can put up. But the offensive line has to play better. I mean, we're not. I'm not going to be asking the defense. The defense can only do so much. You can't ask the defense for the Green Bay Packers all of a sudden to have the same impact on a semi-consistent basis as a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can because they just don't have the personnel. It's not about schemes and about. It's not about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmys and the Joes when it comes when it comes to that. But it also places more responsibility and more of a burden on now on Aaron Rodgers because he doesn't have the luxury of what Tom Brady has, a defense to where, you know what, I can go out and throw 27 passes, complete 17 of them for 166 yards and still be able to dominate a game. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have that ability. If Aaron Rodgers is going to be throwing only 27 passes, Aaron Jones better be running for 200 and something yards. And with that offensive line, does it seem like they have the capability of dominating a, another defensive line to the tune of where Rodgers can have such an easy day that Tom Brady had this past weekend against them? To where he's going to drop back 28 times and not get sacked? Where the um, defense is going to allow the offense to play? I wouldn't say the, the Buccaneers didn't play conservative. But, you know, you took a look. I mean, how many times did Tom Brady throw the ball down the field in terms of looking for the quick score? Wasn't happening. The formula was working. They didn't deviate from it. So, you know, does Aaron Rodgers have that type of, uh, I'm not sure they'll be moving forward about two to three games where, yeah, Green Bay will look like that type of teams, depending upon who they play. But for the most part, that's not going to be the formula for Green Bay to win their team. Now, luckily, as I mentioned before, they have Aaron Rodgers, who despite the setback, I think is still playing some of the best quarterback in the league right now. But uh, their defense is stopping me from saying that, oh yeah, I think that we need to, I'm confident that in the next four or five weeks, we can put the Green Bay Packers on the same level in terms of their chances of 
winning the Super Bowl or their chances of winning the uh, conference along the same with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But then again, I mean, you take a look at the you take a look at the Seattle Seahawks, who have a dynamic offense and a quarterback who's playing like an MVP in Russell Wilson, depending upon what your definition is. But you take a look at that defense, and outside of Jamal Adams, is there anybody out there? Their their secondary has been toast. They've allowed lots of points by lots of teams. But, you know, you take a look then at Tampa Bay, of all those teams that I just mentioned, in terms of uh, being viable Super Bowl contenders, maybe only the Los Angeles Rams, if you take a look at both offensive and defensively. I mean, they might be the closest one of having the type of balance that you would ultimately like to have. So, little remain, uh, remains to be seen what's happening with the Green Bay Packers moving forward. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's happening in the NFL, the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans still remain unbeaten. Ain't that a motherfucker? At 42-36 in overtime over Houston. I've mentioned before, now they're 5-0. and they, over, they overcame two turnovers. Steven Gronkowski's having a field goal blocked. Missing another one, and then the defense giving up 335 yards passing and four touchdown passes to Deshaun Watson. I mean, I don't think that's like, you know, oh my goodness, someone needs to be fired or demoted. I mean, we are speaking about one of the best quarterbacks in the league in Deshaun, and now he's, now I feel like, you know, mentally he's unshackled and unleashed because Bill O'Brien is no longer there. But still, I mean, giving up 36 points, interesting to a team that's 1-4, albeit I think a better team then they're a 1-4 record in the gates. I mean, tell me a team out there. I mean, I don't know who in the NFL office is upset with Bill O'Brien. I don't know who made the schedule in the NFL that Bill O'Brien pissed off. But if you're the Houston Texans, you're like, what the fuck? So let me see here. We open our season with the Kansas City Chiefs, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Tennessee Titans, and there was like two other teams that they were played that they played with kind of like, man, Joe, you're going to give us the elite of the elite at the beginning of the seasons? Of the beginning of this season, WTF? What's up with that? I don't even think they're in a position now to even recover from their uh, early season woes. But uh, but uh, you know, Deshaun Watson is still a guy who can um, you know who can still do some magic. So with less than two minutes remaining in the game, after a Texan score and a missed two point conversion, let me speak about the two point conversion. Thought it was a good uh, move by. Romeo Cornell, I mean, what the fuck? You ain't going to be coaching this team next season. The chances of you making the playoffs right now for the Texans are slim to none. Fuck it, you ain't going to be better than the uh, Tennessee Titans. You ain't going to be better than the Indianapolis Colts in your uh, division. So, I mean, you might as well go for it. Your defense wasn't doing anything. They couldn't stop uh, Derrick Henry. So, you make a two-point conversion here. You win the football game. You have the best player on the uh, field, maybe outside of uh, Derrick Henry and Deshaun Watson, you go for it. You put it in the hands of your quarterback. I mean, hell, we're talking about, I don't know, it's been so inconsistent in terms of uh, what the fans and the pundits and the experts think about going for two or going for it on fourth down. Week one, Mike McCarthy goes for it on fourth down against the Ram. he gets the Rams, he gets blasted. Anthony Lynn of the Los Angeles Chargers doesn't go for it on fourth down in his own territory against the Kansas City defending champions, and he gets roasted for it. Then you have, uh, so I mean, I, I don't know, then you have, uh, oh my goodness gracious, Oh, yeah, then you have, uh, was it McCarthy again? No, 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 no. It was Mike Zimmer. Thank you. It was Mike Zimmer of the Minnesota Vikings the last uh, Sunday night against the um, 
Seattle Seahawks, they go for it to put the game away and don't get it. And Seattle comes back down and scores. So, I mean, you know, it's been a mixed bag in terms of whether you should go for it, whether you should, quote unquote, play to win. So Romeo Cornell was playing to win. He has nothing to lose. So uh, don't, uh, not angry at him for doing that. And besides that, I mean, the, put it on the uh, Texas defense to go ahead and start and stop somebody. They needed a touchdown to fucking tie up the game. You guys couldn't get that done? Obviously they couldn't because Ryan Tannehill and the uh, Tennessee offense took the ball over at the 24-yard line down by seven points, and they went 76 yards. A.J. Brown making a contested seven-yard TD pass catch with four seconds left to go. Tie ball game with the extra point. So then in overtime... You know, Derrick Henry, you know, it was just a foregone conclusion when the Texans lost the coin flip. Deshaun Watson knew it. If you took a look at his expression in the body language after he called tails and it came up heads, allowing Tennessee to get the football. So we all knew that at the very worst, they were going to score a touchdown. At the very least, they were probably going to get a field goal. So, you know, that's the way it goes. Nice bounce back game. After the uh, loss for Tennessee, after the loss to the uh, defending champions, Kansas City Chiefs, in the uh, in the, in that situation, so look, I, I think that uh, again, the Titans are legit. I think the Steelers are legit in the AFC. Um, they speaking about Tennessee, they have the best quarterback running back duo in the league with the NFL running back. With the uh, running back Travis Henry, Travis Henry, Derrick Henry, in serious MVP NFL MVP considerations, you know, I think that years to come this could be. As you're speaking about the duo of Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, they have the ability to be the uh, Stockton, John Stockton, Carl Malone of the NFL. Derrick Henry ran the ball for, what, 202 yards in regulation, and two, including a 94-yard touchdown run. Then in overtime, again, he took a screen pass for 53 yards on the second play. He kept the sixth-play 82-yard drive with a wildcat snap for a second TD at the end of the game. Thanks a lot. See you later. We're gone. Finished with 212 yard, yards rushing, 52 yards receiving. Tannehill went 30-41 of 41 for 364 yards and four touchdowns. Shit. How about this? Ryan Tannehill, as you knew, and if you don't know, let me tell you, if you don't know, now you know. He was drafted by the Miami Dolphins, right? He had a decent couple of years. Then when his tenure was over with the Dolphins, and he was on the bench and he couldn't get anything done after, you know, having subpar performances. Who was the coach at that time for the Miami Dolphins? Ah, it was Adam fucking Gase. Hmm. Goes over to Tennessee, replaces an injured Marcus Mariota, and ever since he's been the starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, Ryan Tannehill has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league if you take a look at a 16-game stretch. That game against um, Houston as far as regular season starts is concerned, 16 games. Exactly one year since he became the starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. In that time, over that period of time, during those 16 games, he's completed 70% of his passes, almost 9 yards per pass attempt, 
He's thrown for over 4,000 yards, 35 touchdowns, and 8 interceptions. Gee, you think Adam Gaze might have been the problem on why Ryan Tannehill wasn't doing what he's supposed to be doing when he became the number one draft pick for the Miami Dolphins for their organization? Interesting. Very interesting. Very telling for those who want to sit there and bury Sam Darnold. Who knows? Maybe it's not the player. Maybe it's the coach. Or in terms of the combination of whose fault it is, why these guys or this person or this quarterback or this player hasn't performed, maybe when you take a look at the combination being both the quarterback and the coach, maybe more the bigger percentage of the blame goes to the coach more than the quarterback, even though, of course, the quarterback has to share some of the responsibility of him not living up to expectations. But we see, again, what Tannehill is doing under a real coach and Mike Grable Mike Rabel, and we saw what Tanny Hill was doing under the performance, under the coaching, under the leadership, quote-unquote leadership of Adam Gase. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, the podcast, so glad, glad that you could be with us. So the offensive line for the Titans is going to be compromised. Taylor Lewan went down in the third quarter, second week in a row that uh, he went down, but... You know, the Tennessee Titans, give those guys credit, man, for coming back and doing what they need to be doing. The Kansas City defending Shabions bounce back, beating the Buffalo Bills 26-17 because of the way the Bills were playing the pass, playing the defense, mainly for the pass. Kansas City said, oh, okay, you're going to be sitting there and talking about we need someone other than Patrick Mahomes in the passing game to beat us? Fine. We'll go ahead and run the ball 46 times. That's cool. Clyde Edwards Allaire rushed for 161 yards on 26 carries. In fact, he ran for 94 yards. Speaking of Edwards Allaire, ran for 94 yards in the first half and a 31-yard run, which was an NFL high in his very brief career in the NFL. Mahomes was 21 of 25, 225 yards, two touchdowns, efficient, strong, uh, not spectacular, but best- spectacularly solid, if you want to throw that adjective in there, as far as spectacular is concerned. For the second straight week, the Chiefs suffered another offensive lineman. Right tackle Mitchell Schwartz left the game with the uh, with a back injury, so interesting about that. But uh, the Kansas City Chambions came back and uh, played well against after that bounce-back game against the uh, Oakland or uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Came back and showed some uh, showed some uh, balance in their offense. Where did this leave Buffalo? We're talking about the Bills. Now, this is the second loss in a row for the Bills and the second below average game for for Josh Allen. Uh-oh, are we speaking about this being a speed bump slowing down the Bills from reaching championship lane? Or is this the same old Buffalo Bills in terms of pretenders, not contenders? Because you take a look at Josh Allen. I mean, everybody was talking about, ooh, Josh Allen. What happened to Josh Allen? What crossroads in Mississippi did Josh Allen uh, go to to uh, sell his soul to the devil? What 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 crossroads in Mississippi did Josh Allen, did he go to the same crossroads as Robert Johnson down there in Mississippi and gave a football to the devil and then in return came back with his ability to complete 70% of his passes and be one of the best quarterbacks and be an MVP consideration for the first four games of the season. And now the devil said, nah, that's okay. Your, your, uh, you, uh, your payment was only for four games. 
Now it's my turn. Now it's payback. And over the last two games, Josh Allen has played more like the guy that we saw in Wyoming where people had questions about in terms of what type of quarterback is he going to be when he reaches the NFL. Talented? Yes. Strong arm? Yes. Athletic? Yes. Accurate? Hell no. Playing against inferior competition, which could stunt his growth as an NFL franchise quarterback? Hell yes. So you take a look at the numbers. For instance, against the uh, Kansas City defending Chambions, 14 of 27 passing, 122 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. In fact, Buffalo allowed more yards to Kansas City on the ground than Buffalo gained as a team. It was ugly in the first half. I think he was, what, 6 for 16? It was something ridiculous like that. The running game for Buffalo was not existent. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, they combined for 42 yards on 15 carries. The Bills surrendered more yards rushing than the passing yards. So, you know, again, should there be some concern in Buffalo? Concern? Yes. Panic? No. Look, Buffalo just played two of the best teams in the NFL when you're speaking about Tennessee and Kansas City. The Bills only, if you take a look about it, the the fact that Allen was 6 for 16 for 42 yards and one touchdown in the first half, the Bills only trailed by three points. So they were still in the ballgame. This wasn't a Cleveland versus Pittsburgh last week situation. This wasn't a Cleveland versus Baltimore at the beginning of the year type situation where they weren't even close. So there were some plays to be made in the second half for them to uh, get closer than they did. So I'm not ready yet to say, oh, you know, this is, you know, this is doom and gloom and it's the same old Buffalo Bills and all this type of stuff. They're playing in a division, the AFC East, which they can still win by winning only 10 games. Take a look at the division right now, the AFC East. Yeah, I know Belichick's in there. I know, I know, I know Belichick's in there, but Tom Brady ain't walking through that door. And if he is, he's going to be wearing... I don't know what Tampa Bay colors are. He's going to be wearing a different uniform and going to a different uh, locker room called Visitors, not home. But you take a look. Buffalo right now, still after losing two games, they're 4-2. and two. Miami, who, by the way, just changed their quarterback to go to an unproven rookie. They're sitting at 3-3. Three three. New England is 2-3, and three, and we don't know what's going on with Cam Newton in that offense. And the New York Jets are the New York Jets. So why not? If the uh, Bills can go 10-6, and six, why can't they win the AFC East? And you take a look at the schedule moving forward. Okay, let's pencil them in for a win next week because they're playing at the New York Jets. Then you got New England, then Seattle, then the Cardinals at the uh, Arizona Cardinals, then the Chargers, and then that San Francisco. I don't see why not after those games that the Bills can't be somewhere around 8-4. and four. And again, we don't know exactly what Miami's going to be. We don't know exactly what New England's going to be. And the Jets aren't even in the conversation. So if the Bills can come out of that still a game or two ahead in the AFC East and be at 8-4, and four, is it still time to panic? Is it still time to say same old Bills? Is it still time to start using the words regression and coming back down to earth and all those type of things when we're discussing the Buffalo Bills. I'm not saying the Buffalo Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that the Buffalo Bills are true Super Bowl contenders. I'm not saying the Buffalo Bills should be right at the top in terms of teams that could win the 
Super Bowl. But I'm definitely not going to go to the other way and say that, well, you know, these guys are, you know, going back to the same old 9-7, 8-8-7-9-Buffalo Bill teams and, and wild card and New England still the king of the East and they'll find a way to win and Buffalo's just the Bill. I'm not going to say that because I don't think it's true. When everything is said and done, the Buffalo Bills will be fine. Will Josh Allen go back to what he was the first four games, completing 70% of his passes? Don't think so. Is he going to be as bad as he was against not only Tennessee, but also Kansas City? I don't think so. It's going to be a happy medium there. There's going to be a couple of more games in that stretch where he's going to look bad. But it wouldn't shock me if he lit up the uh, Seattle Seahawks secondary. It wouldn't shock me if he played well against the New England Patriots. It wouldn't shock me if he did pretty well against Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers. What do I mean by pretty good? What do I mean by define that for me? All right, I will. When I say pretty good for Josh Allen, I'm talking about that wouldn't surprise me if he passed for 275 yards, completed 22 of 28 or 29 for a couple of touchdown passes. Having those type of stats, having that type of stat line against the New England Patriots. Oh, and also rushing for somewhere around 40 to 50 to 60 yards, averaging about 10, 11 yards per carry. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be surprised. If, in fact, for Josh Allen, that should be my expectation. That is my expectations when you're speaking about a schedule where he should be putting up those type of numbers against the Jets. Against, yes, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Yes, against a defense like the Seattle Seahawks. Yes, against a team like the Arizona Cardinals. And yes, against a team like the Los Angeles Chargers. San Francisco 49ers. I don't know why even with uh, that team, he can't put up pretty good numbers. So yeah, the Buffalo Bills are going to be fine. Not the same old Buffalo Bills. I think, once again, they're going to be just fine. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going on, a lot of things happening in the world of sports. Outside of the world of sports, I hope that you're doing what you need to be doing in terms of in this country, the United States of America, go out there and vote. Let your voice be heard, let your voice be heard, especially those from black and brown and poor communities, let your voice be heard. We need to make a change. We need things to get better. We need to get things back on track. I don't even know what that means, getting things back on track. Back on track for a lot of folks, really, I don't want to be on that track. Let's get on another track. Let's see what we can do to get back on another track so we can go ahead and do those things. So go ahead and vote. Go ahead and do what you need to do to make this world, to make this place a much better place to be. All right? All right, man. Let's go. Right now, as I'm doing this podcast, I'm... Uh, Watching on my big screen from my humble abode, my townhome here in northwest Las Vegas, on the first fucking day of this year where it seems like it's under 90 degrees, it's about goddamn time. I'm watching a uh, HBO documentary on uh, YouTube, which I found 
talking about uh, Russell Simmons uh, sexually uh, assaulting people. And they have this uh, female where she's talking about it. Very credible. I believe her. And uh, basically it's about, you know, hey man, money, power, influence, all those type of things. I mean, you're pretty much immune in terms of what you can do uh, to get away with things. But it's interesting. Russell Simmons is still walking around the street for basically doing the same thing that Bill Cosby's doing or did. And uh, Cosby's in jail for three to ten years. So, you know, interesting world that we live in. Ain't it? Ain't it? Ain't it? Ain't it? But that's what's in the background right now as I'm doing my podcast right now. As I'm talking sports, I'm looking at a little crime and justice. Ah, yes, the things I do on a Thursday afternoon when I don't feel like going out and working. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, let's get back to football. The Dallas Cowboys are terrible. The Dallas Cowboys, as of right now, are horrible. They're terrible. They're terrible. Uh, Embarrassing performance Monday night against the Arizona Cardinals, losing 38-10. to Wasn't even close. The Cardinals didn't play that well, and they still dominated. We found out that Andy Dalton is not Dak Prescott, completed 34 of 54 passes for 266 yards. Ezekiel Elliott, who was supposed to take over some of the responsibility that uh, was left by the injury to Dak Prescott, rushed only 12 times for 49 yards and put the ball on the ground twice. This season, Elliott still hasn't rushed for 100 yards, still hasn't averaged five yards per carry in the game this season. We're talking about a guy who's making $91 million or some nonsense like this, being paid like the best running back in the league. Has to do better than that, man. The Cowboys, they're just bad all over. They're bad all over. Bad all over. You're speaking about turnovers, they're minus 12, which is their worst mark through six games since 1960. Elliott fumbled the ball, as I mentioned before, twice on Monday night. That gets him seven fumbles in the last 13 games. He's had one run of 20-plus yards through six games with five touchdowns and four fumbles lost. He has just as many fumbles as touchdowns for a guy who's making $91 million, for a guy who sat out and was, was training in Cabo while he was getting these things going. Against Arizona, the team conceded 24 points in the loss based on four turnovers. Their defense is horrendous. They're allowing, what, 14 passing scores, 10 rushing scores so far this season. They're on pace. They set an NFL record with 581 points allowed. One of the worst marks ever, if you're speaking about it. They've given 35 points or more four times this season. They've given up 40 points or more two times this season. In all actuality, they could be at the very worst 0-6. They could be 1-5. And and I'm speaking about they could be 1-5 after losing to Atlanta and the New York Giants. Because you can make the argument in week one, they maybe should have been put into a position to win on the bogus offensive uh, uh, pass interference call against them. Gave them the opportunity, uh, denied them the opportunity to kick a field goal to tie the game against St. Louis or um, against um, the Los Angeles Rams. And then when you get into the... uh, Overtime, you never know what's going to happen. So that's going to happen. But man, so far, the performances, speaking about Dallas, it's just been up and down. I mean, I made the comment after the first week of the season, because I watched on Sunday Night Football, I watched the uh, Cowboys play the LA Rams on the road. They lost 20 to 17, and I, uh, 20 to 17, and I said it looked like two pretty good football teams. If you took a look at that game, 
It looked like two teams that were going to finish the season no worse than nine and seven, somewhere maybe around ten and six. And you're speaking about you know offenses I mentioned before, an offensive pass interference call against Michael Gallup on a long catch that would have put the Cowboys in field goal range with 21 seconds left. That gets you know so that that you could make a strong argument uh, that they were denied the opportunity to win in that situation. And I remember the biggest controversy coming out of that game besides that pass interference call was the decision for Mike McCarthy to go for it on fourth down from the three, uh, fourth down and three from the uh, Rams 11 yard line with 12 minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. And they were bringing out all the analytics talking about, well, if he would have kicked the field goal, he would have had this percentage to win. If he would have ran the football or would have gone for it and would have made it, they would have given him this type of percentage to win and all that type of stuff. That was the biggest thing coming out of that game or one of the biggest things coming out of that game. So, but you still didn't come away from that game talking about the Cowboys are terrible. You still couldn't have predicted that the Cowboys would be, would be this putrid, would be this embarrassing, would be this pathetic after six games, especially after the last three games. You could not take a look at that team against the Los Angeles Rams and say, oh, fuck yeah, they're going to give up 49 points to the Cleveland Browns at home. Oh, hell yeah, they're going to give up 34 points to the New York Giants at home. Oh, hell yeah, they're going to give up 38 points to the Arizona Cardinals at home. Oh, and allow, in a game where Kyler Murray is only going to complete nine fucking passes. There's no way you could have made the assumption after that game, the first game of the season against the Rams. But that's what it's become. You couldn't have made that assumption. You could not have predicted that the Cowboys would look so inept, so so inept, so incompetent, so buffoonerish, so ridiculously bad on defense. Even after that game against the Seattle Seahawks where they gave up 38 points. 38 points is a lot of, is a lot of uh, points, absolutely. And it really should have been 45 if DK Metcalf didn't uh, you know, start celebrating before he reached the end zone on a, on a touchdown pass or on a, should have been a touchdown pass and had the ball knocked away from him. So you're speaking about the... Seattle Seahawks team that should have put up 45 points against the Cowboys. Even in a game like that, even in a game where Russell Wilson looked as dominant as he did throwing five and it would have been six touchdown passes. Even in that situation, even as poorly as the Cowboys looked on defense, there would be no way that even the most, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest Cowboy detractor. There was no way that even he could predict that the Cowboys would look as bad as they are right now on defense. It's it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And now you're starting to get, you know, players making statements detrimental to the team. Now, it came out that there were two players. So you're speaking about 53 players. Two of them are sitting there talking about the coaching staff is totally unprepared and they don't teach and they don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly and they're not any good doing their jobs. If I'm Mike McCarthy, and like I said, if it's true, the reports are that there's two of them. I don't care if those two players are Ezekiel Elliott, Namari Cooper, or whoever. Get those two motherfuckers off the fucking team. If I'm McCarthy, I'm getting down to the bottom of it. I'm getting those two motherfuckers off the team immediately. First of all, put your fucking name to it if you're a real fucking man. 
which maybe tells you the stature of where they are as players on the team. Because Ezekiel Elliott can come out and say that stuff, I and mean, then what's going to happen to him? What, Jerry Jones is going to cut him? One of the players who just got paid can come out and say something like that. What, he, they ain't going nowhere. They ain't going to get cut. Nothing's going to happen to those guys. Don't think of the two players who said that really don't have any stake, really don't have any impact on what's going on in the field or a big enough impact to where, you know, they can go ahead and say those things. So find out who those two, find out who said those things and get those motherfuckers off the team ASAP, ASAP. Coaching staff is totally unprepared. So it's the coaching staff's position to make sure that Ezekiel Elliott holds on to the ball. It's the coaching staff to make sure that the cornerbacks and the safeties and the secondary can fucking cover somebody. That's the coach's fault. They're not good at their jobs. They're not good at their jobs. If I'm the part of that team, look in the fucking mirror. They're not good at your jobs. Everybody in that secondary should look at the fucking mirror. Because if they ain't good, if the coaches aren't good at their jobs, what did I say about you? Talking about being totally unprepared. Unprepared for what? Unprepared for what? They don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. What should they do? What should they do? What do you want them to do? I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, you know, I, that stuff to me is just ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. I'm telling you, if the New York Giants were so pathetic, Jason Garrett should, would be justified taking victory, victory laps around Cowboys Nation. I'd be doing the Boogaloo. I'd be doing the James Brown. I'd be doing the Shake, Rattle, and Roll. I would be doing the Kid and Play. I mean, I would be, be up in the face of all Cowboy Nation talking about, oh, yeah. yeah I, oh, it was my fault, huh? Oh, I can't coach. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm the reason why we can't do this. Oh, I'm the reason why I can't do that, right? Hold on for a second. Let me pull down my pants. Let me throw out my Johnson, and y'all know what you can do with it. And after that, you can call me Rick. Damn. Damn, damn. Oh, that's what I'd be doing if I was Jason Garrett. Because now, what are you going to do? You going to blame Mike McCarthy? You going to blame? Now, look. Situation, new coach comes in. Again, because of the virus, because of COVID-19, you don't have preseason games to work some of these things out. You don't have training camp. You don't have OTAs, the proper OTAs and training camps in the time to work some of this stuff out. So, again, I'm not saying that Mike McCarthy needs to be fired. I'm not saying Mike McCarthy's job needs to be in jeopardy. I'm not saying that the defensive coordinator, needs to, Mike Nolan, I don't think he needs to be fired or demoted or gone or anything like that. Of course, in a situation like this, if you're Mike McCarthy, you have uh, 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 Kellen Moore as your offensive coordinator. You have uh, Mike Nolan as your defensive coordinator. So you're not spending an inordinate amount of time putting together a defensive game plan or an offensive game plan. So... Being the CEO of this operation, as far as what this team is concerned, of course he's going to be spending more time in coaching meetings for the offense and for the defense and those type of things to get things better. But, uh, you know, it's got to start from the players, man. It's got to start from the players. And because of that, I I don't think that Mike McCarthy, first-year coach, is to blame. Now, moving forward, who knows what they can do moving forward because they have about six or seven players making up a large percentage of the salary cap. So this is not something where you can just, like, tear down this bad boy and then move forward. And we haven't even talked about what's going to be happening with uh, Dak Prescott going forward. What type of quarterback 
is he going to be starting next season after coming off this uh, ankle injury? So there's a lot of questions, a lot of concerns going on with the Dallas Cowboys. But even though for the last three games, they've looked beyond putrid. Hold on for a second. Hold on for a second before we do anything drastic, before we start asking the organization to do anything drastic. Just, just, just hold on. They're still in the NFC East, which is worse than we thought. And we're speaking about a division where a team could go 6-10 and 10 and still win that division, get a home playoff game. Yes, I know it's ridiculous. Yes, I know it's asinine. Yes, I know it's completely unbelievable to think that a team could finish 6-9, and 5-11, and 7-9, and, and still win your division. But that's where we are in the NFC East. Does that absolve all of the problems in Dallas and Mike McCarthy needs a contract extension and woohoo, put that on his resume about in 2020. I was the NFC East champion, coach of the uh, NFC East champion Dallas Cowboys. But no, but you know, take what you can get, man. Read between the lines if you want to. Um, all four, you take a look at the Washington Snyder Skins, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Cowboys, and the New York Giants. All four of those teams have combined for five wins. Five! That's the same amount of wins as the Tennessee Titans, the Kansas City Le Champions, the Baltimore Ravens, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Seattle Seahawks, the Chicago Bears. <laughs> yes, Mitchell Trubisky's and Nick Foles's Chicago Bears have the same amount of wins as the four teams in the NFC East combined. The uh, division is a combined 5, 18, and 1. So it says here to get the division to above 500, every single member of the NFC East would have to win every single game from now on to week 11, which is in mid-December. Yikes. Take a look at these starting quarterbacks. Andy Dalton, Kyle Allen, Daniel Jones, a re, uh, regressing Carson Wentz. The Eagles, the Giants, the Washington Loser Skins, they have three of the six worst cumulative quarterback ratings in the league and three of the nine worst completion percentages in the league. Oh, it's, it's, it's pathetic. I mean, have you ever seen... Football, professional football in New York City be this low? And I'll just say New York City because as far as New York State, at least the Buffalo Bills are saving that, uh, saving uh, the uh, the state from that moniker of having the worst fo- professional football in the country. But man, in the city, this is some poor, 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 poor stuff, man. Really poor. Talked about what's going on with the... Um, Philadelphia Eagles, I, you know, I, just keep losing for Lawrence. Just keep losing for Lawrence. I was so happy. I was really nervous. I was really nervous. I thought that Washington was going to win that game against the New York Giants. I was just like, what the fuck are we doing? We're going to fuck around and win this game. Thank goodness that uh, Ron Rivera went for two points and they failed. Whew, man, thank, thank goodness. That would have given Washington two wins. Hey, man, we need to keep up with the New York Jets. Right now, we're one game behind the uh, Jets. You know, we need to go 1-15. We need, we can't afford to win two or three games. 
That's one of the reasons why I was like, damn, they cut Haskins. Because Haskins gives us the best chance to lose. Kyle Allen maybe could squeeze out two or three games this season, which would give us four. We don't need four. We need to only have the one game. And goddamn you Philadelphia Eagles for losing. You were up 17 to fucking nothing, man. And you lose to this sorry-ass team? Unbelievable. Inexcusable. Unacceptable. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm thinking to myself, don't, don't be messing around Washington to win a football game. That ain't, the worst case scenario for us is going to be we go ahead and because we're in the NFC East, you know, we'll beat the Giants or we'll beat the Eagles again or, you know, we'll squeeze out a, a, a one or two more victories so that'll give us a record of four and 12 or five and 11. And not only will we miss out on drafting, uh, Trevor Lawrence, we'll also miss out on drafting Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. So we'll go ahead and we'll maybe get ourselves, a, I don't know what we'll get, maybe get ourselves a wide receiver for, a, our team without a quarterback or we'll get ourselves an offensive lineman to protect the team without a real quarterback or we'll do something more to go ahead and beef up the defensive line or defensive uh, side of the football so we can try to win football games six to three in a league that doesn't that that it's almost impossible to win football games that way so we'll, we'll do something and then you know because of the relationship that they have the working relationship that they have We'll go ahead and we'll draft some offensive lineman, and then we'll sign Cam Newton to play quarterback for the uh, 2021 season with Kyle Allen at the backup, just like it was when they were in uh, Carolina. Great. Just great. Just great. I love this stuff about, man, you know, um, <clears throat> Rivera speaking about, yeah, you know, I want to bring that winning culture. I'm here to win, and that's what I want to bring to this team and let them know this is what I'm all about. Man, you don't have to worry about that, Coach, because if we need to be where we need to be in a couple of years, 75% of these guys in the locker room right now won't even be around. They won't, they won't even be on this team. If we're looking to win 12 games, 11 games, 10, away, 10 games in the season, you think we're going to win it with those fucking clowns that you have in the locker room right now? Yeah, keep that defensive front you know, situated correctly, but who else in that locker room is going to be around when we finally make that run, when we finally make that turn, when we finally get to where we want to be? It ain't going to be Kyle Allen in that locker room. It ain't going to be Alex Smith in that locker room. It ain't going to be any of the offensive linemen in that locker room. Brandon, uh, a sheriff, won't be around for that much longer when the uh, Washington football team finally gets good. The way he's playing, Landon Collins ain't going to be in that locker room. Who's going to be the only players in that locker room? Terry McLaurin and who else? Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, maybe possibly Ryan Kerrigan, Montrez Sweat. Who's who else is going to be on that team? I can't think of any right now besides those guys I just mentioned. So you know that's great, that's wonderful. You're going for two. You want to see, you want to show the team this is what you're all about. This is what you stand for. I guarantee fucking tell you, if this was Week 13 and we were going for the championship or the uh, NFC championship in a Division that was acceptable, respectable. Something tells me that you wouldn't be going for two points in that same situation. When you're this team, and when you're this sorry, and this season, where you're when you're going nowhere, what does what's the difference between two and four and one and five? Even in the NFC East, if you're the Washington loser skins, if you're the Washington bad skins, if you're the Washington, please Jesus, don't have Daniel Snyder be the owner of the team skins. What does the, what's the difference between two and four and one and five? Oh yeah, that's right. One gets you farther away 
from drafting Trevor Lawrence. The other one gets you closer to drafting Trevor Lawrence. I want this team to win. I want this team to win a Super Bowl. I was around for the 1982 championship. I was around for the 1987 championship. I was around for the 1991 championship. Fully there. Still remember it. Memory still strong. Old enough to still have that feeling of, you know, I wasn't two years old. I wasn't three years old. I wasn't young enough to not comprehend what was going on. Die hard in 82. Die hard in 87. Die hard in 91. At the age where I could distinctly remember those plays. I can distinctly turn on NFL films and watch the second quarter of the Washington game against the Denver Broncos in 1987 and see Doug Williams put on the most electric quarter of football in NFL fucking history considering the stakes and considering the environment, considering what the game was. I can still watch those games and still get goosebumps. Goddamn, I can still watch that game, talk about this game on the podcast and as I'm sitting right now, as I'm feeling right now, I can still get goosebumps. I want that shit before I fucking die, even if I live to be 500 fucking years old. And at the rate that we're going as a football team, I can live to be 700 years old. And the Washington football, fan, football team won't even get close to mediocrity. So, no, nah, man, I'm not interested in 9-7. and seven. I'm not interested in 5-11. and 11. I'm not interested in 6-10. and 10. I'm not interested in 8-8. Eight and eight. I'm not interested in 11 and 5 and losing in the wild card round. I'm not interested in 10 and 6. What can we do to have us win a Super Bowl? I will take in a decade span, I will take five years of poor to mediocrity. I'll take three years of good to very good. And I'll take two years of being exceptional Super Bowl level contender. Give me two out of 10 years. In my 60s, in my 50s, give me two out of 10 years of where the Washington football team is going to be viable contenders to win a Super Bowl. You don't even have to win a Super Bowl. Just give me the hope. Just give me the thought. Just give me the, just the, just the feeling, the dream that something like this can happen. Give me the ability to once again, if we lose in the NFC Championship game, if we lose in the Super Bowl, and we, you know, give me that feeling of hurt. Give me that feeling of disappointment. Give me that feeling of depression. Give me that feeling of pain. Give me those feelings of, God damn, I can't believe we fucking lost when I one chance to go to the Super Bowl. I'll take that in a heartbeat over the consistency and the drumbeat of, 4 and 12, 3 and 13, 5 and 11, 2 and 14, and getting nowhere, and going nowhere. When the football season opens year after year after year, I know my team and the best sport in North America, the most popular sport in this country, I know that my team, the team of Joe Gibbs, the team of Sammy Ball, the team of Vince Lombardi, the team of Joe Thiesman, the team of John Riggins, the team of Dexter Manley, the team of Daryl Green, the team of Mark Rippon, the team of Doug Williams, the team of Landon, oh, what the motherfucker, that, uh, London Fletcher, thank you, the team of Sean Taylor, the team of Joe Gibbs, the teams of the Smurf, the teams of the Hogs, those teams, that tradition, those seasons, 
of glory. They're now a joke. They're now gone. They're now distant memory. There's a certain generation. Well, I'm not talking about who are, who are between the ages of 5 and 15. I'm talking about folks who are full-fledged adults who have no fucking idea what I'm talking about where I say, God damn, there was a time when Washington was one of the elite franchises in the NFL. There was a time where the expectation for the Washington football team was not only to make the playoffs, but make some noise in the playoffs. Not only to make some noise in the playoffs, but also win in the playoffs. Not only to win in the playoffs, but be strong contenders for the Super Bowl championship. There's people out there who are married, who have mortgages, who have jobs, who are building their pensions, who have children in middle school. There's people who have no fucking idea what I'm talking about. <sighs> Depressing, ain't it? <laughs> but that's what Washington is now. And it's like, I'm not interested. And I, so, you know, I'm not interested in saying, you can't root against your team and this, that, and the other. We want to win, win, win. No! For us to win, win, win big time, we need to lose, lose, lose. I'm not interested in going 5 and 11. What the fuck is that going to do for me? Hey, we finished 5 and 11. Woo! Yeah! What, what, what? I see growth. I see us getting better. I see a franchise moving forward. No, I don't. I see a franchise that's still stuck in mediocrity. What's the difference between losing one game, or what, excuse me, what's the difference between winning one game and winning six? You ain't any closer to the fucking Super Bowl. Jeez. Cal Allen is not going to be able to win a Super Bowl. Cam Newton next season ain't going to give us the ability to win a Super Bowl. Alex Smith's story is great, but he ain't going to be leading us to a Super Bowl. Not in the league with Patrick Mahomes. Not in the league with the defense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not in the league where uh, uh, Russell Wilson is the quarterback. And Seattle, Seattle has all those weapons. Not in the league where you have Sean McVay as a head coach. Not in the league where you still have Bill Belichick as a head coach. Not in the league where you still have the Pittsburgh Steelers. Not in the league where you still have improving teams left and right with quarterbacks who look like they might be quarterbacks who can lead teams to Super Bowls. Cal Allen is not going to be that guy. Alex Smith is not going to be that guy. A 30-something-year-old, broken down, still can't pass accurately. Cam Newton is not going to be that guy for the Washington football team. So why are we cheering that this team is winning football games when we have no fucking chance whatsoever to do anything moving forward? We ain't going anywhere this season. I'm not ashamed. I'm not scared to voice my opinion. I'm not scared to root against my team this season because I want us to lose because Trevor Lawrence is our savior. Trevor Lawrence is the only thing that we have as far as help on the way for us to move forward for a championship. And maybe the continued success, even though they've been inconsistent this year, maybe that front four can be also be the catalyst. So I'm hoping three or four years down the line that we have the quarterback, that we have the defensive line, and we have the complementary pieces around this team to move forward. But right now, man, good Lord have mercy. <laughs> it's just, you know, I mean, I mean, we're bad. We're bad. And I ain't interested again in 4 and 12, 3 and 13. Give me 1 and 15. Let's tank for Trevor. 
Losing for Lawrence. Losing for Lawrence. Losing for Lawrence. Losing for Lawrence. Come on, everybody. Losing for Lawrence. Losing for Lawrence. Let me hear you. Losing for Lawrence. Let's lose for Trevor Lawrence. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom, wassalamu alaikum, konnichiwa, que pasa, bonjour. Hope everybody is doing great. Vote, motherfuckers, vote. NFL news. Um, <laughs> Man, I tell you, um, as predicted, the NFL not learning anything. We're never really interested in learning anything, I guess. I don't know who to put the blame on. I don't know. Roger Goodell. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that Antonio Brown has an opportunity to get back in the league and be playing football in week nine after this season. Or, uh, this season, excuse me. After he gets picked up by a team and does quarantine, COVID tests, and all those type of things. So let me see. Now, let me see right now. A, a ignorant piece of shit like Antonio Brown. With all the problems that he's had, the way that he's embarrassed himself, the way that he embarrassed his family, that the way he embarrassed his kids, that he, the way he embarrassed our community, this fucking idiot is going to get another opportunity to play before Colin Kaepernick can even get a fucking trial for a team. So the bullshit that Antonio Brown has done, the NFL can look the other way on that one, but Colin Kaepernick who has been proven right in space, still can't get himself an opportunity to get a tryout. The NFL has to learn fucking jack shit. Fuck you owners and fuck you on the players who are going to sit there and be like, hey, you know what? Hey, he can play. He's in shape. He's good. He's all this, any other. God, are you fucking kidding me? I, is it just me? Am I the only one with a problem with this? Hardly anybody in the league, players included, have expressed a problem with that. No one had even anonymously has been talking about, damn, we're really going to give this motherfucker another chance while Cap still can't get an opportunity to play? He's still being uh, ostracized. He's still being left out. And we're going to give this stupid motherfucker another chance to uh, play the game of football, speaking about Antonio Brown? 
But he can still play. He can still play. Okay, so Antonio Brown can still play. Antonio Brown can still be a guy who can make a difference. Antonio Brown is still a guy who can be productive. Colin Kaepernick has no opportunity to show if he can be any type of value to any type of team. Blaine Gabbert gets another chance. All these other motherfuckers in the league are up there making money, are being employed by the NFL, and Colin Kaepernick cannot get a tryout, cannot get a sincere, genuine tryout, but Antonio fucking Brown does? Wow. So the Seattle Seahawks are positioning themselves themselves to obtain Antonio, whether if he's eligible to play. Yeah, like I mentioned before, could be eligible for a statement at the end of week eight. <laughs> oh, boy, all this kind of bullshit. Hey, where are you? Malcolm Jenkins, where are you? Well, Michael Bennett still no, still in, uh, not in the league anymore. But all of you fucking clowns out there, yes, I'm talking about my community, all you black clowns, all you clowns out there who are talking about Drew Brees and this is horrible, and I don't know because of what Drew Brees said about the uh, flag, which was wrong, which was wrong, by the way, all the guff and all the animus and all the anger and all the bewilderment and all the hurt feelings, those are legit, and I respect that, but damn, where are you right now where it's kind of like we're having Antonio Brown have the possibility to come back there's teams lining up for his services, but yet still the NFL has not recognized Colin Kaepernick giving him a sincere opportunity to see what he can do. We're not asking him to come back and be Lamar Jackson. We're not asking him to come back and have the responsibilities of an Aaron Rodgers. We're not asking him to come back and do all those type of things. We're just asking for the league to give him an opportunity to see if he can play. To see if he can be a valuable member. To interview him. To see what's going on. To see where his head is at. God damn, Michael Vick got a fucking job with the Philadelphia Eagles after spending two years in Leavenworth for dog fucking fighting. He gets another fucking chance. You're going to try to tell me that Kaepernick can't even get an interview? He can't even get a what's up, how you doing, how you feeling, send me a video? <laughs> wow. You know, I mean, the NFL, I'm sorry, man, with the players, I mean, you got more to be dealing with than whether owners are backing you about kneeling or expressing this, that, and the other. Man, y'all got bigger fish to fry than some shit like that. You know, I mean, it's like, you know what, if you're going to do this to Kaepernick, then how are you not doing the same shit to Antonio Brown? Mm, 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 mm. The league, the NFL suspended suspended Brown for eight games without pay for multiple violations due to the league's personal conduct policy. The league announced in July. You remember Brown had been the subject of an NFL investigation after an accusation of sexual misconduct at his home by an artist who was working there in 2017. He also pleaded no contest in June to a felony burglary with battery charge and two lesser misdemeanor charges related to a January incident with a moving truck company outside of his home in Hollywood, Florida. The NFL also continues to investigate a lawsuit filed by Brown's former athletic trainer, alleging that she was sexually assaulted by him. The organization is intrigued by the idea of, speaking of um, Seattle, 
They said the organization is intrigued by the idea of matching Brown with an MVP candidate like Wilson, Russell Wilson, in an offense that already is a potent is as potent as any in the league. So this is almost like putting more icing on the cake. This this is not even a need. This is not even a team where it's kind of like, God damn it, we just had a, a wide receiver that could elevate us from, you know, just good to championship level. The Seahawks already have enough weapons on offense at the wide receiver position to go ahead and win a Super Bowl. And the Seahawks don't win a Super Bowl or don't live up to expectations, it won't because of their lack of talent and depth on their wide receiving core. It'll be because of a defense that can't fucking stop anybody. It'll be because of a secondary that can't cover anybody. It'll be because of a defensive line that can't put any pressure on anybody. So you're going to bring that fucking jackass? You're going to bring in that fucking Sambo? You're going to bring in that fucking disgrace to the race? You're going to bring in that fucking clown into your locker room? I don't know Antonio Brown. I've never met Antonio Brown. I've never interviewed Antonio Brown. I've never said one word to Antonio Brown. So my thoughts and feelings about Antonio Brown are solely based on some of these allegations or some of these alleged things that have happened to Antonio Brown. And some of the stupid ass shit that he puts on social media and other things. But when the camera's off and it's just him in his house or in a private setting, I'm not there to know Antonio Brown. So my thoughts and feelings and my animus and anger and outrage and raising of the voice and speaking in an angry tone is because of what I know of Antonio Brown from what I've read, from what I've seen, from what I've heard, those type of things. So I don't know, man. Maybe a way off. Russell Wilson, and um, who seems to be a good guy. I don't think Russell Wilson is going to be hanging around any knuckleheads or idiots or whatever like that. He seems to be a pretty straight-up guy. But um, Russell Wilson and Geno Smith, the two quarterbacks that are on the team for the um, Seahawks, they're good friends with them. They talk with them. They talk about the possibility of reuniting because it would feel so good. Tom Brady speaks highly of them. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So they have a much better, they have a much better understanding of who Antonio Brown is than I do. So, so maybe I'm way out of the line. I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? When I hear this, when I hear Antonio Brown speaking to the police in the language that he's using and the manner of ways that he's, that he's acting, and doing the things that he's doing in front of his fucking kids. The mother is speaking to the mother of his child in front of the kids. Is speaking in the neighborhood that he's living in. Is speaking in public like this. And having someone actually record it. Making sure that he's recording it. The way he's sounding so ignorant. The way he's sounding so buffoonish. The way that he's sounding like a fucking clown and a fool. That's my thoughts and opinions about Antonio Brown. One of the main things are based on hearing this idiot sound like this. You can't do nothing for me. Get that white bitch out of here too. <laughs> nah, bro, you ain't helping me get the fuck out of here. Go ahead, bro. Get out of here. What you want to do? What? Bro, the child right here, you you figured out. I'm right. I'm not trying to say nothing. Bro, yeah, you not coming in my property. Bitch ass nigga. Come on, Polo, get out of here. 
So bitch ass out of here with your white folks. They want white people to help white people. Get the fuck out of here. Come on, Paulo. Love you. Love you. Go, baby. Give me this. Go, baby. White fucking guys that got no justice. Get the fuck out of here. You let this bitch steal my key. Get the fuck out of here. Go. Go. Goodbye. Get the fuck out of here, you bitch ass police. Fucking people can't do nothing. You fucking white fishbowl. Get the fuck out of here, you bitch. Come on, Polo. The fuck out of here. Fucking police can't have that. You fucking bitch ass law. Get the fuck out of here, you fucking pussies. Fucking bitch. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of my property, you pussies. Fuck out of here. I love you, Poppy. I love you. Go ahead, them bitch ass police. Get the fuck out of here. Bitch ass little cop. Look at the little cop. You wish you could take me, you bitch ass nigga. Fuck out of here. Yeah, get in the back of the police car, fishbowl. And you ain't leaving with shit, bitch. Get the fuck out of here, you bum asshole. Try to bitch try to come to steal. Bitch, you gonna leave in the police car. Fuck out of here. Hollywood police, get the fuck out of here. Bitch ass niggas, get out of here. Cringeworthy. Cringeworthy. How embarrassing is that? As a black man, I'm embarrassed that this fool's gonna be acting like this. Because this is so much bigger than just one black man acting like a fucking idiot. Acting like a fucking coon. Acting like some ignorant Sambo. Acting like he don't have no sense. I mean, this is the type of stereotype that we as black folks have to put up with every fucking single day when we go outside of our community and we have to deal with other folks. And other folks, this is, and from other communities, this is what we think, this is what they think black people are like. Right here. This fucking stupid ignorant motherfucker right here is what we fight against every single day when we're discriminated against or when we're stereotyped or when we go into a neighborhood looking for a house or we go to a place of employment looking for a job or when we have to deal with the everyday bullshit of what it is to be black. Why? Because of fucking idiots like that ch fucking jackass. So one of the reasons why maybe I'm so upset and so angry is because that fucking idiot in a small, minuscule way it's making it harder for me to get where I need to be in this society for me to be a fully-fledged man of respect amongst everybody. Because that fucking idiot gives too much evidence or too much fuel to the fire on why black folks can't do that, black folks shouldn't be able to do this, the reason why black folks are treated like, they're, like they are treated. That's the reason why I get, I'm so upset with Antonio Brown. That's the reason why my thoughts and feelings are geared toward Antonio Brown in such a negative way. And it was the same thing with Floyd Mayweather Jr. We as a community just sit there and just wait, well, you know, it's environment and this is where he's from and this, that, and the other. I mean, bullshit, fuck you on that nonsense. You know what? It's the same stupid ass shit where you see these fucking idiots at these Trump rallies and these fucking people from the, wherever they're from talking about blacks in such an ignorant, bigoted, racist uh, way. I ain't giving them the pass of saying, where, well, you know, look at the environment where they're from. Or look at where they grow up. Or look at where they're living right now. Or I don't give them that fucking pass. I don't care if you're from the fucking sticks of Kansas or Iowa or Indiana or Wisconsin, or South Dakota, or North Dakota, or Utah, or Montana, or Northern Florida, or Alabama, or Mississippi, or Southern Louisiana, or South Texas. I don't give a fuck where you're from. I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, well, you know, this guy thinks of a black people. 
you know, they all think that we're this and we're that and we're dumb and we're ignorant and we can't do this and we can't do that and we're all just one way and that's the reason why we shouldn't be able to do this. It's the reason why we shouldn't be able to have these rights and that's the reason why the police treat us like they do and all of those type of things. I don't give a fuck where you're from in terms of using that as an excuse. Well, they're not around any black people, so we'll give them a pass. Well, they were they were born in an environment where they didn't know any black people. They didn't have to worry about black people. So, you know, that's just their environment, and that's just where they're from. So, in some small way, white folks who know better should just accept it because that's just who they are, and oh well, oh well. No, nah, man, fuck that bullshit. No, 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 no. No, no, I'm not letting off of the pass with that. No, no, no. I call racism when I call racism. I call bigotry when I call bigotry. I call ignorance when I call ignorance. And I call stupidity when I call stupidity. Now, if you want to take that to the next level and, you know, dulge, you know, dive into why are they like that? Why are they so ignorant? Why are they so racist? Why are they so closed-minded? Why are they so misogynistic? Why are they so stupid? Why are they so blind to the facts and to uh, what we are as a people and all those type of things. If you want to get into that discussion, have at it. But because of your environment, because of where you're from, because of where you're, all your circumstances, I don't, that doesn't excuse ignorance for me. That doesn't excuse racism for me. That doesn't excuse bigotry for me. And that's dealing with white people when it concerns black people. That concerns Hispanic when it comes to black people. That concerns evangelicals when it comes to black people. So if I'm going to hold those people by the same standards, I damn sure can't turn around and use fucking Antonio Brown when he's acting like an imbecile, when he's acting like an idiot, when he's acting like a fucking fool, when he's up there calling white folks crackers, even though that's not the same, that doesn't have the same level of uh, venom or the same level of hurt or the same history of white folks calling us niggers. But still, I'm not going to be sitting up there when Antonio Brown is calling the police crackers in a upper scale white neighborhood and sit there and go, well, you know, because of the environment, well, because of where he grew up, well, because of the people he hung around with, we should just excuse that kind of language. We should just excuse that kind of ignorance. We should just excuse that type of stupidity. No, man. No. No, 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 no. Never, ever, ever, no. And there'll be plenty of folks out there because he can catch touchdown passes and make the team win and everything. And they'll be like, fine, go ahead, put them on the team. See, no problem here. White folks don't give a fuck because that's how way, I guess they figure that's the way real black folks keeping it real act anyway, right? And black folks don't care because, I don't know why, because as a community, that's some of the, that's some of the steps we need to take toward getting us in a much better place. But, uh. Antonio Brown is coming back to the NFL, and he's going to be open with welcome with open arms wherever he goes. And I find it uh, disgusting. I find it very disgusting, and I find it pathetic. Again, if Colin Kaepernick gets an interview and a workout, and they're just like, you know what, man, just not for us. <laughs> you know, I, I've I've never made the point that Colin Kaepernick needs to be back in the NFL. I've never said that. I've never espoused or never wanted the, the, for the NFL to hand Colin Kaepernick a job. Never. But I bet you if you give him an honest and sincere opportunity, I think that he can make the team. And if Colin Kaepernick can give, like, hey, you know what? I don't need to be 
the starter. I would like to be, but I'm not coming into this interview demanding that I be the starter and I demand this and I demand that and all of these type of things. And if he's if he's coming at it at that angle, then I can understand why he hasn't gotten an opportunity. But if he comes in humble, if he comes in to say, hey, you know what? I'm ready to prove to you guys that I can be a starting quarterback in the NFL and I can have you guys win football games and all those type of things. And the NFL is denying him because of that and you're going to let some fucking piece of trash like Antonio Brown, the way he's been acting back into the uh, NFL. And the NFL owners are going to be able to swallow that clown, a guy who's being alleged to uh, doing some harm to women. People find that okay. If the community finds that okay, if the fan base finds that okay, if the advertisers find that okay, well, oh well, I guess I just gotta, you know, kick rock. I guess you know, I guess that's a me problem in terms of my thoughts and feelings about that. But it's a shame. It really is a shame. So there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that we could be with us. That you could be with me. Starter in Miami, Tua Tungavailoa, over. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Don't understand it myself. Um, but then again, I also take a look and I say, look, um, Miami Dolphins are going to win the Super Bowl. That's three and three. They're around expectations in terms of if you take a look at the growth of their team. I think Brian Flores, the head coach, is doing a great job. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I, I understand why you're hurt. I would be hurt too. And those things that he said about, you know, it was kind of tough, you know, speaking to a guy who basically just fired you and, you know, having to help the guy who replaced you. I, I get it. I understand it. I mean, I'm not mad at the guy for him expressing those opinions. If I was a coach, I uh, wouldn't be mad at him for expressing those opinions. I would have a, you know, a talk with him in private and I would apologize. The fact that, you know what, I should have done a better job in letting you know and thoroughly explain the reason why. But, you know, whether Ryan Fitzpatrick starts or he doesn't start, I don't know what I don't know what his contract entails. I don't know if he gets X amount of dollars for certain starting X amount of games and I don't know what his incentives clauses are, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is still going to get paid on the 1st and 15th. You know, and when in a society that's going to be facing possibilities of people getting laid off from their jobs, people being evicted from their homes, Ryan Fitzpatrick is still going to be making more money than he'll be able, he'll, he don't, but, but he'll be making more money than what he'll know to do with uh, still on the 1st and 15th. So why I can understand uh, Fitzpatrick's hurt, I can understand his anger, especially, you know, in the first 24 to 48 hours of finding the news. I can understand him uh, being bitter. I can understand him being angry. I can understand him like, you know, like, man, fuck all y'all, man. <laughs> Seriously. I can understand all that. But I also understand that um, based on his NFL career, that when people who have known and spoken about Ryan Fitzpatrick, it would be out of character for him not to do his best to uh, get to a tongue of Iloa ready to play. It would be out of character for Ryan Fitzpatrick to uh, try to sabotage or do anything um this is not a situation where, because he's been to before, you know, guys like Carson Palmer, guys like Mark Bolger, all these other guys who have been more than helpful in helping Ryan Fitzpatrick when he was a quarterback in need of help and need of direction. So he's just playing it forward. And from everything that I've heard uh, spoken about Ryan Fitzpatrick and people who have spoken to the media and others about uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick as a person, again, me, I would be shocked if, 
ultimately, and the Dolphins also have a bye week, so at least it gives them a little bit of time to digest it even more. And uh, I guess that time, the first time when Fitzpatrick is going to be on the sideline for the Dolphins, and he's not going to be playing, it's going to be tough. Some of those emotions are going to come back. I'm quite sure some of that negativity and bitterness for a, a few moments is, is going to come back. Like, I can't fucking believe I'm not running out there with my with my fellows, with, a, with my brothers and all that type of stuff. I'm quite sure that's going to be, you know, in his, in his heart and in his soul. But I'm also, I'm hoping and I'm guessing that um, that'll quickly, you know, go away and he'll be really a, a good teammate a good employee and all this type of thing. So, you know, again, my heart goes out to Ryan Fitzpatrick, but but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with uh, Tua moving forward. I wouldn't have played them until next year. I think it's risky. I think a guy who was coming off an injury about 351 days ago, who didn't have the opportunity to play in any preseason games, who didn't have the opportunity to go fully, go through a full-fledged training camp, in offseason, it's risky. You're going to be coming in playing one of the uh, better defenses in the NFL. I mean, <laughs> congratulations. Your debut and being an NFL quarterback is going to be going up against Aaron Darnold. There you go. <coughs> Good luck to you, youngin. But uh, we'll see what happens. So action on Sunday against the Jets. Went two for two for nine yards, taking five snaps at the Jets in mop-up time. We'll see what happens for a full 60 minutes, barring injury. Or I guess really bad bad play against the uh, LA LA Rams against the LA Rams. Wendell's rule the sports. I'm your host Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, I'm out of here. I'm just checking to see what else I want to talk about. No, I'm done. I'm done. All this stuff about Trevor Lawrence and with college football. I'll get the college football uh, on my YouTube channel. Talk about Alabama, Clemson, Alabama's victory over Georgia, uh, Clemson beating up on Georgia Tech. Man, Dan Orlowski, boy, he sure was slurping. Um, that man sure was slurping, slurping. Not only was he slurping Trevor Lawrence, he was slurping the coach for Georgia Tech. He was slurping the uh, quarterback for uh, Georgia uh, Georgia Tech, Jeff Lewis, I guess. Man, if, I, if it's Dan Orlowski, I'm, I'm putting in the future to uh, – Win the win the uh, national championship on Georgia Tech because while that's, <laughs> while while the uh, fourth string punter for Clemson was putting up scores in the seventy three to seven blowout on a Saturday, I mean here's Dan Orlowski talking about you know what that coach for Georgia Tech I like what he's doing I like that attitude he's going to turn this program around and Jeff Lewis this guy I tell you what a leader what a guy what a this what a that it's like Dan the score is seventy three to seven I mean I. <laughs> I mean, I mean, though this is this is going to be good. This is going to be good. This is good for the program. This is good moving forward. He can use, use this as a learning tool. This, that, and the other. This is going to be great in recruiting. He's going to be. It's like, man. And then this, and then him going on and on about Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Dan Orlowski knows his stuff. Very knowledgeable, but it's like, boy, I tell you, this guy sure loves himself some. Uh, this guy sure loves himself some Trevor Lawrence, like we all do, like we all do. So, there we go, man. There we go. So I'll talk about all that kind of stuff on my YouTube channel, and on my next podcast. I want to thank you very much for listening. Be strong, be safe, be do, do all those things. Time for me to go work out. Time for me to get my ass kicked. Time for me to say music. music.